Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Connor, and you are listening to Film Talks. And it's our official last week of the Month of Romance series, where each week I viewed two romantic films, sometimes for the first times, and then gave my opinions here for all of you to judge. Um, I also, for the entertainment of my listeners, had you all vote on which film you preferred of the two I presented each week. This week, for our conclusion, I went with 13 Going on 30 against Sleepless in Seattle. So now, uh, here's the thing. I got a lot of diehard Sleepless in Seattle people uh, back home in the comments. A lot of people were like, that is my jam. Um, I had never seen it, but, you know, typically when it comes to these kind of movies where I haven't seen... Um, especially if it's an older movie, people are like talking about it, you know, it kind of hypes it up a little bit. I'm expecting a solid movie. Like I had people going, oh, oh, uh, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, this is the best movie with the two of them. Um, but then I watched the movie and I was actually underwhelmed. Um, yeah, it was kind of sad to say I was expecting something greater, <sighs> but I'm not going to leave it at that. I'm going to go a little more in depth, right? Uh, now, I know people are going to be like, what? How, how can you not like it? It's it's so great. It's wonderful. It's romantic. Here's the thing. I don't have a problem with Tom Hanks or Meg Ryan. I don't even have a problem with the kid because, you know, sometimes the kids in, in any movie, you know, they can sometimes be bad. The kid was fine. The dead wife storyline wasn't too, like, cringy or crazy or cry uh, um, crying inducing. It was it, it was fine. I just didn't believe the romance at all, uh, specifically the Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan. But I feel like most of the romance in the film was lacking. Uh, everything felt too surface level, partially because um, uh, this was a story of two people meeting through destiny or fate. But plenty of romances have played with the idea of fate, right? And I, I have felt more attached to those romantic relationships. I feel like um, when you have a romance and it deals with, uh, you know, fate brought us together. Uh, this movie in particular, they played it in, certain, in a way that the two of them seemed like it was impossible that they could be together, right? Which is fine. You can do something like that. But... If you're gonna, you know, make it seem crazy and wild, you also don't have to make it seem like they don't they don't know anything about each other, which is what this movie did. Like there was no, there was nothing. Like I was never like, oh, they really need to be together, um, because of their characters. No, it was like I know Tom Hanks, I know Meg Ryan, they should be together, um, and that took me out of the movie. I don't want to think about the actors. I want to think about the characters and the characters themselves. They very rarely showed that oh, these two people should be together. Um, one movie that does the fate line pretty well, honestly, is Serendipity, uh, a movie probably panned constantly for being super cheesy, uh, which is maybe a, a, something you could say about most films in this genre. Um, however, this movie had the couple, uh, Serendipity, I mean, uh, this, this couple show their chemistry together in the beginning and then that made you want to see them back together. And you had all those impossibilities where like, oh, they'll never meet. And then at the end, they reunite. But in the beginning, it's like a tease. It's like, oh, they're so great together. This is so fun. They should be together. And, you know, that's what you're running with for the whole movie. So even if they meet other people or whatever, you're like, oh, but they were so good together. They should get back together. 
um, Sleepless in Seattle was trying to get you to want the two to be together, despite the fact that you don't even know how good they are together, because they haven't spoken. Um, they, they, they literally barely have even seen each other in the movie. Um, if, if I remember right, uh, Meg Ryan sees him once when she's, like, standing in the middle of traffic, and then he sees her once, uh, well, I guess... Uh, I guess they see each other like twice. So she sees him when he's on the beach with his kid, but doesn't approach him. And then she sees him in traffic. He also sees her in traffic. And then he sees her when she gets off a plane. Um, if anything, they exchange maybe one word. Uh, it's just, there's nothing to go on. They're just like, even half the movie is like, they, they barely even want to find each other. Cause Tom is constantly like, ah, no, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with it. And Meg Ryan's like, Oh, maybe I want him, but, uh, I barely know him, which is, you know, you don't, you, you do not know him. Um, you, you're already engaged. It's, it's just so weird. At least in you've got mail, another Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan movie, they speak to each other despite them not knowing who they're speaking to. Um, at least in that instance, a relationship is being formed, right? Like that was like interesting. Like they're creating, um, a relationship separate from the one they have in real life. And it, it, you know, you get that romance from that section. Um, instead, once Tom Hanks sees Meg Ryan, uh, this being in the airport, he's, he's interested and that really just tells me he's interested in her physically. And I'll get into it because, like, the whole movie, Tom Hanks is like a big horn dog. And it's super weird because he also has a kid. And it seems like he's not really interested in finding a mom for his kid, even though I'm pretty sure that's that should be a big part of the movie. But instead, he's really just trying to get a, a lady to take to bed. And it's, it's strange. Maybe because Tom Hanks is old, but whatever. Um... In reality, it's the kid who likes Meg Ryan for her words, right? The kid is all, always pushing his dad and saying, hey, hey, this lady, she, she's kind of cool. And, you know, Tom, Tom is like, oh, but she lives on the other side of the country. And then he sees her face and he's like, ah, I like this, which it's so weird. Um, so, I, like, literally, his investment in the relationship, even at the end of the movie, I call into question because half the movie, his only concern is getting laid. Um, whereas Meg Ryan pulls a Rachel McAdams, um, Rachel McAdams from The Notebook, I mean, and tries to see if there's another man for her out there right before her wedding. So she's engaged, same as Rachel McAdams, um, you know, and is like, you know, I need to make sure that this is the man I'm supposed to marry before I do, so she goes out. Except Rachel McAdams at least said where she was going in The Notebook. Right. There was some she was misleading a little bit, but there was that level of trust that was established where she was like, I'm going to go to this place. And she didn't really say what she was going to do, but she had to, you know, figure something out. And he was like, OK, I trust you. Um, maybe he shouldn't have, but he did. Um, whereas Meg Ryan, she's like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to go to Chicago when she actually went to like Seattle or something. So just straight up lying to her fiance's face completely, whereas at least, you know, <laughs> I mean, maybe a lie's a lie, but at least Rachel McAdams only half lied, I guess. Um, I also found Meg Ryan's reasoning for not being happy in her relationship super trivial. Like, sometimes it felt like a Seinfeld skit. 
Like in the beginning when she introduces uh, her fiancé to her family, um, he talks about how he's allergic to everything and it's, you know, played for jokes. Like his dad's like, oh, we'll get you this. And he's like, ah, that gives me hives. Um, And and how when they're sleeping together, uh, he's super noisy and like like he snores so much that like the tissue floats over his mouth and stuff. Um, If these things bother you, don't marry the guy. He's not, he's not like a bad person. You're like, like she, she has no reason to be afraid of breaking up with him. She's constantly doubting if she wants to marry him. She, at some point she's just leading him on. And I feel bad because the guy's at, at most just a little dorky. Um, it, it's, it's annoying. Meanwhile, you're over here fawning over another man while you're in a kitchen cabinet, right? And that's played for laughs. Like she hides in a kitchen cabinet while she's like, like listening to this guy talk about how he misses his wife and stuff and it feels super untrustworthy and I it feels icky in a way that even like like the notebook played a little bit into that ickiness but like they made it sweet and flowery and all this this one is just like eh, I don't want to laugh because like if I were in his position it'd be kind of it'd be icky um Tom Hanks on the other hand again is willing to overlook an annoying laugh from this this random girl that he's dating now and and an overall lack of chemistry between the two just so he can you know get some thang out of it uh again he's just interested in getting laid and it's so annoying like the kid i understand that the kid probably doesn't mention his reasoning for his dad getting a wife is so he can get a mom but like that's definitely a factor whenever we have any of these romantic movies where the where like the dad or the mom has a kid that it's in their head that they're like hey this kid needs a mom or a dad and i have to find one for them while also finding happiness for myself in this case the kid the kid doesn't even mention it and tom hanks certainly doesn't mention it um the 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 premise itself wasn't too bad right with the son calling the radio because his dad lost his wife and he's in a pit of despair and then a wonderful woman overhears his call and falls in love with him it's even fine that tom goes out with other girls because that's what his son wants although his fascination with sex could have been a little milder um it's it's meg ryan's relationship that annoys me because she could have just been a woman like an when Harry met Sally, who maybe isn't very successful getting a happy relationship, and then she hears this guy who sounds like more of a man than anyone else she's ever dated. But her reason for not just going up to him isn't because she's engaged, it's because it looks crazy and desperate to fawn over a guy who is hurting on the radio. Like, that's realistic, and it's not icky. Like, there are, there are already hints of these things in the movie, but I think by doing this, it feels less like she's dropping a decent guy for a better guy and more like she's fighting against destiny that her again this movie is all about destiny it's mentioned like 30 times um that instead of you know you know oh well i'm engaged to this guy instead it's like oh my destiny is pulling me to this guy but but that's crazy that's crazy like she says all these things like this happens just drop the other thing and invest more into the destiny storyline and i think you get more romance out of it uh plus this way she'd probably be dancing around meeting with tom a lot more in a serendipitous manner which would make the meeting at the end feel a lot more impactful um i was just underwhelmed at the end i didn't necessarily like either character 
and any love they might have felt for the other didn't seem to have any weight at all. Like, it, it can't just be destiny. You have to show why they're meant for each other, besides her peeling an apple like his dead wife. It's just strange, because I've heard You've Got Mail is considered lesser than this movie, but I firmly believe the opposite. Their back and forth was a lot more entertaining, and the, re and, uh, the relationship was more interesting and impactful when they finally get together. I need that, like, like, the end is supposed to be like, oh, they're finally together, and I didn't get that at all. Like, at least in Serendipity, you're like, yes, they did it any any romance where they kind of like tease you a little bit you, you're supposed to feel that big triumph at the end um i didn't i didn't get that at all even the fake out at the end where they they take the elevator down and she takes the elevator up and she just misses them uh, but then she winds up not missing them because they came back up for the kid's backpack it's just like i was just like yeah whatever um as for what i liked about this movie again i thought the sun was adorable um, and Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks are always great, funny actors. Uh, also, the scene where Tom Hanks is crying with his buddy about Dirty Dozen was really, really funny. Like, I laughed out loud at that one. Um, but but those are those are my quick thoughts on Sleepless in Seattle. Uh, y you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, now that I, now that I'm thinking about it, Sleepless in Seattle. It's a it's the title of the movie. It's mentioned in the movie. Why not end the movie with him sleeping next to Meg Ryan? Like, he finally got his sleep-filled night in Seattle. Like, put a bow on it or something. I don't know. It, it, maybe that's cheesy, but every romance is cheesy. Um, I don't know. Oh, it's such a missed opportunity. And then, uh, like, even even the, the death of his wife, I thought that was super cool. But what like what did they do with it like they didn't do enough with it i felt i felt emotional impact there when he's at the architect building and then his friend is trying to help or maybe i don't even know if it's his friend his somebody his co-worker was trying to help him out and gave him uh, a business card for one of his shrinks or whatever and he pulls out like 30 other cards and he's like yeah that's how everyone's trying to help me like you know i felt that and like like these are good actors like they can portray those those emotionally drained characters. I have no doubt Tom Hanks could have done it. Um, I don't know. I, just, I felt like they could have done a lot more with a lot of things, and it, it was just a lukewarm film for me. But um, that wasn't the only film I watched this week. I also watched 13 Going on 30, a movie I had already seen plenty of times due to my mom's love for it. Um, she multiple times has said that she wants to be friends with Jennifer Garner. Um, <laughs> hopefully one day she gets to meet her, because I'm pretty sure that'll blow her mind. Uh, also, fun fact, the day I rewatched this, um, for the episode, my mom found Jennifer Garner and Mark Ruffalo had posted on Instagram that they had run in, run into each other that day in a fun little 13 going on 30 reunion in Canada. Um... Just it's so weird that the day that we decide to watch this movie, that also happens. Uh, 13 Going on 30 itself is like a romantic version of uh, Freaky Friday. Although specifically the Jamie Lee Curtis one, because that's the only one I've seen. Uh, Jennifer Garner, through a birthday wish, goes from 13 to 30 in an instant, which means she gets to portray a child in an adult body. And I just feel like she's having the time of her life just like Jamie Lee Curtis, like, they're just killing it, they're, like, you know, letting loose, 
Um, after seeing videos and stories of her in real life, I think the character she portrays is actually closer to who she really is than most other stories she's in. Um, I read that the first scene uh, Mark Ruffalo did was when he has to dance to Thriller, which of course is both embarrassing within the scene, but also behind the scenes. But Jennifer Garner's incredibly positive, loud energy egged him into enjoying himself. Also, I have to say Andy Serkis makes an appearance as a super gay fashion designer, and I am here for every second of it. I am not sure if he would be able to have this role nowadays, but it was a highlight for me completely. Uh, here is a thing, though. A uh, super big gripe I have with some movies is they make certain foods look better than they actually are. I have, I've mentioned this to a bunch of people. When I was a kid, I would watch the Mickey Mouse, Prince and the Popper. Um, uh, it's like a 20 minute short film thing. And they have apples in that movie. And when they eat the apple, it looks like the greatest apple you've ever seen. You know, bright red, and then they bite into it. And it's like, like cream white on the inside and just looks so great. In this movie, they have razzles. And I remember when I was little, you watch this movie and you're like, oh, Razzles are so cool. They got to be the best candy. And I went to New York City. Uh, I forget. I think it's called like Dylan's Candy Store or something. And I went in. And I was like, we got to find it. We found it. And I tried it. So underwhelming. Like, come on. You can't like hype up this candy. And it's just like, it's boring. It's stupid. It's terrible candy. However, I will say this. When Jennifer Garner takes the, um, oh, what's that? Like the fruit roll up. I forget what it's called but it's like the fruit roll-up thing and she wraps it around her finger and then eats it like that. I would do that in elementary school because of that movie. And I actually made a friend because of that, because I did it. And he's like 13 going on 30. And I was like, how did you know? This is crazy. So 13 going on 30, huge impact in my life. I tried not to let that influence how I thought about this film though. So that's why I watched it again, you know, tried to refresh. Um, I do think it is worth noting the tones of these two movies is immensely different, as Sleepless in Seattle is a slow, dramatic romance with a few laughs, while 13 Going on 30 is a hard 2000s romantic comedy. Um, it's fast-paced, uh, has some pop song montages, it's bright and cheery for 90% of it. Um, so I, I took that into account. It's a different kind of thing. So, you know, if somebody likes Sleepless in Seattle, they might not like 13 Going on 30. Because, you know, it's, it's a completely different style. Uh, also, if you have seen any of my other episodes in this series, you would know I love characters who feel like people. And one aspect of that is them having a life outside of the plots of romance. Um, I think it's super cool when, like, you don't have to have uh, a super bloated uh, runtime to be like, hey, these people love each other. You feel that love, but they're also doing other things. That's why Amazing Spider-Man 2 is a super cool movie to me because it's it's a super good romance. But you know he's uh, he's st Peter Parker is still Spider-Man, so he's doing his Spider-Man things, and Emma Stone's still doing her um, doctor things. She's also trying to you know she's doing stuff like they have they have lives outside of the relationship, which I, I like because obviously it's realistic. Everybody, it's not just the relationship. There's other stuff that they do besides just kiss each other. Um, in Sleepless in Seattle, Meg Ryan is a writer who sort of writes about Tom Hanks, although I don't even remember that actually coming up a lot. Like, I think that's just a reason for her to talk about Tom Hanks, but I don't think her writing an article or anything is like a big 
thing in the movie. And Tom is in, Tom Hanks is an architect, I think, but that's more of a backdrop for him to talk to his guy friends. So like they do have jobs and they're shown, but they're, it's not very fleshed out to me at least. Um, 13 going on 30, however, makes Jennifer's career a real highlight of the movie. Uh, and Mark Ruffalo being a photographer, which makes for a fun way for them both to show what they're good at outside of their relationship, but also use that to show their feelings for one another. So it's kind of a cyclical thing. They're, they're showing their individuality while also using that individuality to show their relationship, which is cool. Uh, therefore, they actually feel like people because they aren't just laying around all day uh, going on picnics together. They're working and also making time for one another. Um, however, Mark is in the same place as Meg Ryan in this movie. He's already engaged to another person before he falls in love with Jen. Uh, but in this case, I felt more weight with this with this dynamic. And the ending is actually super satisfying. And it's less icky. Honestly, for me, it's less icky. Like it gets, it gets right on the edge, but like it doesn't, doesn't go over the edge. Instead of on his wedding day, he decides to leave um, his wife at the altar and just go and run with Jen. He chooses his fiance because, of course, like that is the decision he should be making. Um, she has shown that she wants to be with him way longer than Jen has, despite despite his fierce love for her. He makes a solid, realistic choice in his head. Um, I, like looking at the, the actual story, like, you know, you can kind of get caught up in the romance of it. If you look at the story from his point of view, she was super mean to him for years. He finds this super perfectly fine girl. She's pretty, she's nice. She, um, and, and they're engaged. So they're promised to each other and he chooses her because even though he has this little crush on Jen from when he was a child, she hasn't been the one that's been there for him. It's the other girl. Uh, but we don't always want a sad ending, uh, i.e. La La Land, which always brings me to tears, or Amazing Spider-Man. You know, like, sad endings might be realistic, but when I'm watching a romance, most of the time, I want that happy, full feeling from it. And they fix this by allowing Jen to go back to her being 13 and kissing young Mark before flashing back to the present on their wedding day. Super complex, a little bit when I say it, but watching it super simple, instead of them, instead of Jen kind of screwing, screwing up his, his marriage and all that stuff, he gets married, but then she goes back in time and makes sure that she doesn't screw things up. So this then leads to that, they kind of do a jump forward and now they're adults again, and they're, of course, getting married because she never messed things up with him in the first place, so he never met the other girl who's perfectly fine. So they get together, and they do good things. Um, it's, a, it's a happy, happy for everybody. Nobody's sad. Love it. Um, also, I like how the movie makes you think Jen will be fine staying as a 30-year-old because her younger self would be rehabbing her poor image. Um, they, they, they make it sort of a conflict. Like, instead of Instead of making the whole movie about her trying to get back to 13, she's trying to make her light. Like, she's like, this is where I'm at. I can't go back to being 13. I'm just going to make it as good as I possibly can. But there are just some things that can't be remedied, like the fact that her past actions resulted in her losing Mark to some other girl. Like, again, 
Um, he makes the right decision, stays with his fiance, and she loses him. If she stays at the the age of 30 and continues her life, she does not get Mark, which of course is sad because it's the point of the movie. Um, also, her company goes under because prior to her 13-year-old self jumping forward, she had been selling company secrets. So that's it's that bad past that she had built up still catching up to her and screwing things up no matter how hard she, or, or how good she is or how changed she can be. That bad stuff is still catching up and she's still got to uh, make up for it, I guess. And, and some in this case... She doesn't really have to because they allow her to go back to 13, but I think it makes it fun because instead of her just staying at 30, again, instead of it being kind of a disappointing, sad ending where she kind of just, you know, the whole movie, she just wants to be 30, and just as things are looking up and bright, she comes crashing down and, oh, she, her past self had already screwed everything up. She's allowed to go back to 13 and say, hey... Like in A Christmas Carol, she learns something and she makes her life better because of it. Um, and yeah, I thought that was a cool little thing that they did. Overall, um, I'm sorry listeners like Joe and Lisa, uh, maybe you have a connection to Sleepless in Seattle in some way I can't understand. But that movie made me feel limited emotions at best. Uh, whereas 13 going on 30 made me laugh, made me cringe on purpose, and made me hopeful as well. So listeners like my mom, Jasmine, Nikki, and Maddie, I am with you on this. 13 going on 30 is a clear-cut, more interesting movie and better movie than Sleepless in Seattle. Also, to all you naysayers, I would say You've Got Mail is a way better Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan movie than Sleepless in Seattle. You all have got to explain to me why some of you think this movie is so good. All I get from thinking about this movie is the amount of missed opportunities they had with this story. And in the end, it just came out basic, and it's so... Argh, it's so disappointing. Um... Like, it made Jasmine sleep before the movie even started. She watched five minutes, fell asleep. That's all you gotta know. <laughs> uh, but that's all I got for this episode. Thank you to those who tuned in. I would also like to mention uh, my commenters for this week, Lisa, Nikki, Jasmine, Maddie, my mom, and Joe. Thank you uh, to everyone else who commented on my post during this whole romantic series this month. Uh, I will now be returning to my regular format for episodes, and believe me, I have quite a few fun topics in store for you all, and I cannot wait to share them. Feel free to follow me on my Instagram or my Facebook page at film.talksofficial, or take a look and subscribe to my YouTube page, Film Talks, where I'll be posting film reviews and some collab videos at varying times. Uh, thank you for all of you who continue to comment on my posts each week, I look forward to hearing your comments on my next ones, and I hope you all have a great week.